Welcome to This is the Jet Life with Dan Burnham, your guide to the New York Jets sports and much more. And now, your host, Dan Burnham. What is up, everybody, and welcome back to another episode of This is the Jet Life. Today's podcast episode coming to you following the New York Jets' loss in Minnesota, 22-27 to against the Minnesota Vikings. The Vikings go to 10-2 and on the season. They're 6-1 and at home. Really good record. Really good team. The Jets, they go to 7-5, and and they're still alive in the playoff race, currently in the picture in that last 7th spot. But this game drummed up a lot of emotions. So many emotions, honestly. Um... We're going to talk positives, negatives overall and everything, but I think if you like sum up the game overall, you have to be excited. Not because the Jets lost, you know, 7-5, and five, yeah, it's a bummer. We're hanging on by a thread, and we play against the Buffalo Bills next week in Orchard Park, so it's like, man, are we going to go to 7-6 and six and find ourselves on the outside looking in? But in reality, we played a really, really fun game. The Jets did a ton of stuff, and they gave themselves opportunities to basically have like 10 game-winning play opportunities in this one. So many from inside the 10-yard line, so many from in the red zone, so many from the 1-yard line. And they weren't able to punch it in for a number of reasons. Play calling, execution, communication issues, um, and that's a bummer. But to be able to be there in that situation where they could have won, had the ball fallen their way, you know, I feel good about that. I feel good about the fact that Jets didn't get blown out in this game. And how many times in my history of watching this team, and specifically since doing this podcast, would we play a team like the now 10-2 and two Minnesota Vikings. And by the second quarter, the game would be over already. We'd say, man, we're already three scores down. The Jets aren't coming back. Let's just look for a small glimmer of hope or somebody doing a good job in this game so we can have something positive to talk about. In reality, the Jets were in this thing until the very end, even when they didn't get it on fourth and goal with a minute and 40 seconds left. They get the ball back, and they get another opportunity from within the red zone to then win the game again. And it's like, yeah. They didn't get the win, and that sucks. And they're 7-5 and five now, and that game was right there and winnable. But that's the part we need to focus on, that we are playing these teams, the best teams in the league, at a level like this, week in, week out. We aren't watching that shit product that we were so used to for so many years. This is a new team, a new experience, and there was tons of stuff to get excited about in this one. So I'm going to talk about all that. Um, we're going to talk about you know positives, negatives, and overall. Going to get my dad's takes and his father time. Going to talk about the AFC East picture. Then the AFC wildcard picture is the Jets are kind of in that mix right now, it looks like. Then we're going to talk, you know, offense, defense, special teams, performances against the Minnesota Vikings. Going to do a quick preview of the Bills coming up next week and close this thing out. Got a what's on tap. And, uh, yeah, that's about it. I'm still a little bit under the weather. And I think I've been doing a better job at kind of getting through some of these podcasts in a quicker fashion. I think that's a good thing for it overall, not getting hung up on some of the more boring details, I guess. So I'm going to try to keep that pace going as well. And, uh, yeah, before we begin, I need to remind you to rate, review, subscribe to this podcast anywhere podcasts are found. It's the Gangrene Nation podcast, and the series title is This is the Jet Life. You can follow me on Twitter, at Jets underscore Dan. And this will be an audio-only podcast. Again, I'm going to Florida tomorrow and just super busy with the schedule and everything. I'll be back on Saturday. Um, definitely will be at, you know, Father Time's house, 
with roommate Kyle to watch the Jets versus the Bills Wings week. Love that. Um, but didn't have the opportunity to do a video this week. It's possible that Paycheck will be over for video next week. I'll keep you posted on that as well. But let's get into this thing because there's a lot to talk about in this game. And I want to start with the positives from the New York Jets. And it starts with Mike White. In reality, the Jets have found something with Mike White. It wasn't the most glamorous game of all time. His quarterback rating wasn't very good. Uh, he made some real mistakes in this one. He's got some glaring weaknesses and some things he needs to work on. But he's shown a level of confidence and competence and maturity, standing within the pocket and leading his teammates and, and working in the huddle, we've heard from Garrett Wilson. A lot of different things. You know, to get this team in position to try and win the game time and time again, to have a better second half than first half, to utilize so many different weapons on the Jets, to get the ball into those playmakers' hands, and just to have the accuracy and the quick, like, one, two, throw, one, two, three, four, five throw that he's been having to find these guys the right times, trusting his players, and just not making a bunch of dumb mistakes all that often. It's been a really, really nice thing to see. It's exactly what this team needs because we don't need a Aaron Rodgers or a Patrick Mahomes to be successful with this New York Jets roster. What we need to be successful in reality is just some decent quarterback play. We really just needed Zach Wilson to not turn the ball over and not take sacks, and the team was winning. Zach Wilson beat every team he played except for the New England Patriots because the team can win. So we just need a guy that can kind of weather the storm and do enough. And Mike White has shown that he can do enough. Now the question whether or not he's going to be a long-term answer, that one's not so sure. I think it's pretty obvious that Zach Wilson is not coming back anytime soon until Mike White has a you know devastating meltdown. And don't get me wrong, this Bills week is definitely an opportunity for that. His worst game of his career came his last start last year when he had no touchdowns, four interceptions, really bad game. That was against the Bills. So it's possible he regresses a little bit this week. But in reality, we're seeing a guy that deserves to be on the field for the Jets right now, and that's the most important thing. From there, it's all about progression. It's all about whether or not he can take the worst parts of his game, make them better, make better decisions, and just keep honing his craft, getting more comfortable, building chemistry with the players, building chemistry with the offense, learning more what he's good at. The offensive coordinator, like, okay, where can I trust him? All that stuff comes with time. But that's the same with every other quarterback the Jets have had, and any team has, that's a young guy that you bring in. It was the same story with Mark Sanchez, Sam Darnold, Geno Smith, Christian Hackenberg, Zach Wilson. Is the guy going to get better? Is he better game to game? Is he better year to year? And if he's not, then you just have a Mike White here, and you're like, all right, he's a competent, maybe backup-level, fringe-starting-level quarterback in the NFL. That's about it. Not a guy that's going to go out there and win you Super Bowls himself, but maybe won't put you in too much harm's way. If he regresses, like we've seen quarterbacks do plenty of times, then he's not going to be startable. And if he progresses and gets better, yeah, you're talking about a guy that you potentially could be rolling out there for 17 weeks in a season. And if that's the case... That's awesome. But we have to see that progression. And I think that's like the hardest thing to project as a sports fan is the growth. Because we know exactly what he is. We know what Zach Wilson is. We know what Sam Darnold is. All these guys coming out of college. The question is like, how is it going to translate? What is he going to work on? How is it going to work when he's in the NFL and all that stuff? And those projections aren't as concrete as the skill sets and those other things. So Mike White, you know, that's the first positive. Especially when you see the first half to the second half in this game. Because that first half, he was doing a lot of the stuff from last week, dumping it to running backs, throwing it to tight ends. He's got a little habit of kind of throwing a quick slant to uh, a wide receiver that, or tight end that's covered, thinking that the guy's open in the middle of the field, the ball gets tipped up, 
op- uh, opportunities for interceptions. That's like his biggest weakness right now. But then when you see him in the second half, he was willing to throw the ball more downfield. He was doing way more seven-step drops, some nine-step drops in there, and getting the ball way downfield to the guys like Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis. And so seeing that comfort level grow in the second half, to see Michael LaFleur getting more comfortable with him in the pocket in that second half was really, really big, and it was the reason the Jets came back. Right, We scored 16 points in the second half to the Vikings' seven. The Jets did a really nice job weathering the storm and getting in a position. Mike White, a lot of credit goes to him. Bam Knight is another reason to be really positive right now about this team. He's becoming a new weapon for the Jets that we didn't even know we had. He was a guy that I said was a, you know, he should be a lock to make that 53-man roster when the season began, or at least, you know, in that practice squad mix, but not really a guy that would be fighting for carries or opportunities with a guy like Brees Hall or Michael Carter. And so now to see Bam Knight getting the opportunity with Bam Knight, or with uh, Brees Hall and Michael Carter injured, to see him ahead of James Robinson on the depth chart and ahead of Ty Johnson on the depth chart, getting 15 carries to the other guys four and one, the guy had over 100 scrimmage yards again two weeks in a row for the only two games he's played in his NFL career. He hasn't fumbled yet. He's big. He shows size. I've really liked what I've seen from Bam Knight. So getting a weapon there, very exciting. When you talk about the wide receivers, having Corey Davis back and healthy now and Garrett Wilson really coming alive with Mike White at quarterback, we got a real one-two punch at wide receiver. Mike White put up 369 yards. That's not not all on Mike White. That's on a Corey Davis having a a really nice game, bringing in some really tough balls, some yards after catch. Garrett Wilson doing the exact same thing. Those two players were over 230 yards together. A really nice game from our two awesome wide receivers. Great one-two punch. Something the Jets aren't really used to having is like dynamic wide receiver weapons. We got a small taste with Eric Decker, Brandon Marshall for that two seasons with Ryan Fitzpatrick. That was cool, but it doesn't happen very often. Before that, it was, you know, do you want to count? San Antonio Holmes, Braylon Edwards. Do you want to talk, you know, that brief spell of maybe Santana Moss, Lavernius Coles? Perhaps a Wayne Quebec, Keyshawn Johnson? Not that many in this Jets history, at least not in my lifetime. So liking that one-two punch at wide receiver. And then the last positive is the Jets had so many chances to win in Minnesota against the 9-2 and Vikings. Our team is easily as good as them. And one of those plays, one play goes differently and the Jets win this game, and we're sitting here having a totally different conversation. We don't get to have that today, but just remember that it was right there. So that's a positive. When you talk about the negatives, it's all those chances that we didn't win. It's those chances on the one-yard line, those chances on the 19-yard line, 10-yard line, you name it, time and time again. Drops from Braxton Berrios, inability to run it, punch it into the end zone, miscommunication between Garrett Wilson and Mike White on throwing pylon passes to the end zone. A lot of different things, a lot of different tries. None of it worked, and the Jets lose. That's a big negative. Some real questionable calls in the red zone. Some real, like, why wouldn't we try a QB sneak from third and goal on the one? That's what I would want to do. I would want to do it on third and goal and potentially even try to get on fourth and goal because I think that's your best chance of getting the ball into the end zone. And to be fair, they did a QB sneak the play or the drive before, and Mike White did get into the end zone. It had to be reviewed, but he was able to get in. So he saw the play have success and work from that position. Potentially it could have worked again. I would have liked to have seen that. And the last negative is the Jets have another tough matchup coming up against Buffalo now next week. And now that we're 7-5, and five, 
should we lose to Buffalo in Orchard Park, fall to 7-6 and six out of the playoff race, and now you're starting to look at other teams hoping that they lose games so the Jets can get back in. The Jets are right there. They're in that mix for the playoffs, but they have to win some games, maybe have some other teams lose some games. Things have to go our way, but it's becoming very important. Every single week, every single game and matchup in the NFL is so important right now, and all we really want is a chance just to make the playoffs right now. When the season started, all we wanted was to see growth and improvement. All right, we've seen growth and improvement. We want more. Then it was like, all right, we want to play competitive December football games. All right, we've got that. We want more. Now it's like we want to make the playoffs. When we lose in the playoffs, if we do, we're going to want more. It won't be good enough. It never will be. That's just kind of how it works. And even if we win the Super Bowl, the next year it's going to be not good enough. We need to see more. The Rams aren't sitting back saying right now how great it was to win the Super Bowl like eight months ago. They're like, man, what the hell is going on? we got to figure some stuff out. they got to rework the depth chart and the offensive structure. It doesn't last long. And you always want more. That's just kind of the nature of the beast. But the Jets are right there. we got to be pleased with where we're at. That's kind of my overall take on this team is that we're fighting for the playoffs. And there's really important games week after week for everybody. But we're having fun. We're playing a guy like Mike White, a third-string quarterback that most people had never even heard of. And he's coming out here, and he's balling out against the great Vikings in Minnesota and putting the Jets in an opportunity to win. And it sucks he couldn't do it. But for crying out loud, there are going to be more opportunities this year. And we are in the playoffs right now as it stands. And the guys that are fighting with us for playoff spots, they got some really tough matchups coming up. There's no reason that the Jets can't make the playoffs. But they're going to have to play good football. Mike White's going to have to play good football. The defense is going to have to stay stout and strong and get after the quarterback. Quinton Williams can't slow down. Sauce Gardner's got to stay hot. Garrett Wilson's got to stay healthy on the field and productive like he has been. Same with Corey Davis and these running backs. Olat, all of it. It all has to come together, and we have to keep winning games. But we're there, baby. It's time. This is it. This is what we've been waiting for. Feels cool. It's still every single time you week. It's a negative, but, man, not going to uh, cry over spilled milk yet because a lot of season to go. So that's my thoughts on the New York Jets. I do want to check in with my dad and hear this week's father time from him to hear his thoughts on the Jets. We watched this game together. Obviously an emotional roller coaster for everybody involved in this experience. Watching, playing, coaching, whatever. I mean, man, so many freaking plays on our feet. But this is what my dad thinks. This is his thoughts in this week's Father Time. Written by my dad, David Burnham. Here we go. We are fighting for our playoff lives. And a win in Minnesota would have been huge. We could have won the game. But we couldn't seal the deal. Consider a few key seconds in the game that could have changed the game and possibly the 2022 Jets season. What if Garrett Wilson didn't step out of bounds? What if Corey Davis doesn't tip an uncatchable ball into a Viking? What if Braxton Berrios catches the football? What if Mike LaFleur was prepared to call good plays in the red zone? There are more what-ifs, and they're very frustrating to think about. It's really simple. You have to score from the one-yard line in the fourth quarter. And we know it's no consolation to say the ball has bounced in our favor in weeks past. Cleveland was a very long time ago. The Vikings' offense is dynamic. It's as versatile as there is in the NFL. But we move on to a Bills team that wants revenge in Orchard Park, and it's going to be a hard game to win. We need to think week to week, but if we can win two games before the Dolphins game in Week 18, we're going to have a genuine shot at the playoffs for the first time in a decade. I believe that it's all going to come down to that game. It's been a crazy ride. As the wide world of sports used to say, it's the thrill of the victory and the agony of defeat. We've gotten big doses of both, and there are going to be some unexpected turns in the coming weeks. Keep watching, keep rooting, and keep the faith. 
Go Jets. End scene. Wow. And I love it. I love where he's going with this. And that quote that he's got, it's the thrill of the victory and the agony of defeat, is exactly what I was just talking about in that, like, when you win, it's amazing. That thrill is incredible. And when you lose, it doesn't matter. It just feels horrible. Like, what the hell? Why couldn't we win? Regardless of how you played or what could have gone right. He mentions all those situations that single plays, you know, the Corey Davis tip ball, Garrett Wilson just barely stepping out of bounds on what would have been a touchdown, Braxton Berrios dropping a football that how many times in his career has he come down with that ball? And this is the one that he drops. And then Michael Force play calling. So many different things. And he's probably right. The Jets are going to need to win two games. I don't know if the Bills is the one that they're going to get the win in. But if they can win two games against Lions, Jacksonville, Detroit, and then go into that Miami game with an opportunity to get to 10 wins on the season, win that thing, and maybe they're in. And it's going to be crazy because that's going to be a huge game, and I don't know what it's going to mean for the Dolphins, but I'm sure they're not going to want us to win that one. Um, Probably going to be very important for them as well. But we get to keep watching. We get to keep rooting. We should keep the faith because this team has given us a lot of really awesome moments this year. There's been some head scratchers. There's been some frustration for sure. Those Patriots games sucked. Joe Flacco struggling early in the season against the Ravens and the and the Bengals. Those sucked. And then not being able to close this one out, it sucked. But think about, remember that Cleveland Browns game and like how the hell did they pull this thing off? What about beating Aaron Rodgers and the Green Bay Packers? How about stunning the Buffalo Bills? There have been so many amazing moments on this ride so far. And there's no reason to think the Jets can't pull a couple more out of their butt. They didn't get this one. They're not going to get all of them, but maybe they're due now. Maybe they beat the Buffalo Bills again. They've done it once. I'm excited. My dad's excited too. I'm right there with him. It's the agony of defeat right now, but I'm ready for the thrill of the victory one more time. Thank you, Dad. I appreciate the father time. That is all we're going to do for now. We're going to take a quick uh, commercial break and then come back and talk about the AFC playoff picture and then the Vikings game pre- uh, review. So now... Commercial. Alrighty, and welcome back to This is the Jet Life. we got to talk AFC East. Right now, the Jets are currently in third place in the AFC East. we got a couple good teams there. Obviously, the Bills have been really hot, and we play them this week. They're 9-3 and three right now. They're 4-1 and one at home. Only got that one loss. And we're going to Orchard Park this week. The Dolphins are 8-4, and four, a game behind them. The Dolphins do have the uh, head-to-head win against the Bills, but they are going to play again this year. Then you got the New England Patriots in last place at 6-6. Six and six. Should the Patriots be tied with us, they will pass us as they have the head-to-head matchup against us in two wins. They swept us. This week we know the Jets are going to play the Bills, right? That's going to be CBS with Tony Romo and Jim Nance. That's going to be fun, getting those guys for the first time in three years. The Dolphins, they play the Chargers on Sunday night football, 8-20. That's a really big game for two reasons. And when we talk AFC playoff race, if you're looking at winning the division, You want the Jets to beat the Bills this week and have the Dolphins lose. That would put the Jets one game behind the Buffalo Bills and give them an opportunity to potentially win the division. That said, if they can't win the division, as there's two teams ahead of them right now, the Bills and the Dolphins, especially if the Jets lose this week to the Bills, and it seems like there's really no way the Jets are going to come back and take the division from them. If that's the case, you almost want the Dolphins to win, believe it or not against the Chargers because the Chargers are one of the teams that's nipping at our heels right now to get that last wild card spot. And if that's going to be our best path to making the playoffs, then that's what we need. So that's a huge game with a ton of implications for the Jets Sunday night football at 820. Then you've got the Patriots playing on Monday night football 
in Arizona against the Cardinals. So this week, if you watch the Jets game, you watch Sunday Night Football and Monday Night Football, you'll have seen the entire AFC East this week. And there is absolutely a reasonable possibility that every single team loses their matchup. Right, Jets-Bills could go either way. Dolphins-Chargers definitely could be a tough matchup. And I don't think the Cardinals are any gimme for the Patriots. It's going to be very cool to see all that. Big spots, big stages, a big week for the AFC. Absolutely, the AFC is big time, going to be showcased heavily. We've got the number one CBS game, Saturday Night Football and Monday Night Football. This week's coming up all AFC East. So when we look at the wild card picture, just assuming, you know, the Bengals and Ravens both make the playoffs. The Bengals are really hot right now. The Ravens are essentially two games up on us because they're 8-4 and four and they beat us. Lamar Jackson currently injured, but their schedule is so favorable for the remainder of the season. Let's just call both those teams in. Let's say the Titans win their division, the Chiefs win their division, the Bills probably make it. I would say the Dolphins are definitely lined up to make it right now. And that would leave one spot remaining, the seven seed that's currently held by the Jets at 7-5. and five. Right behind us, the New England Patriots. We already talked about them playing the Cardinals on Monday Night Football. The Chargers, they're 6-6. Six and six. They're playing the Dolphins on Sunday Night Football. Then the Raiders are kind of on a hot tear right now. They're five and seven. And they're going to be playing this week in um, Los Angeles against the Rams on Thursday night football. So we're basically going to get to see every single one of these teams in this race play this week on primetime football. This is going to be one of the biggest weeks of football that you could possibly imagine. The other two teams that are five and seven playing all right right now, the Cleveland Browns and Pittsburgh Steelers. We're not as worried about those two teams because the Jets actually beat them both. So they got the head-to-head tiebreaker there, essentially three games up on both those teams. So we're looking at right now, if we want to just call everybody ahead of us in, it's the Patriots, the Chargers, and the Raiders every single week. And believe it or not, the Jets could lose every single game for the remainder of the season. And if those teams lose, it's possible the Jets make the playoffs. The Jets literally could make the playoffs with seven wins, what they have right now. So it's really important for the Jets to win. Obviously, the best path to making the playoffs, of course, 100% is winning your games. As many games as the Jets win, they can do it. They control their own fate right now. But also, monitor those teams because those are the ones that are going to also control. If the Jets lose, we're going to be looking for them for sure. So that is our AFC playoff race. Keep winning. That's the most important thing. Jets can do that. It's going to be a very fun season to close it out. So that's the playoff picture. Let's talk about the offense in this game, starting with Mike White, who's really good at being decisive. He's making quick decisions. He's spreading the ball around. ton of targets in this game for Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis, but he does spread it around amongst the running backs, the tight ends. He doesn't seem to be really favoring specific players all that much, other than maybe Garrett Wilson, Corey Davis, like they're getting a lot. But, like, you see a couple plays in this game, you know, Tyler Conklin, for example, was running like an outside post route that's basically a wide receiver route, and he's covered by a good defensive back, pretty tight coverage, and Mike White throws it up to him as if he's a wide receiver, and that's not a play that you throw to a tight end, and most tight ends don't come down with that football, but I think it just kind of shows a lack of chemistry that he's got with these players. I think it's part of the reason that you've got, you know, some of these younger guys like a Denzel Mims playing in the lineup with them, some Zam Knight or Bam Knights in the lineup and Ty Johnson's and stuff, guys that he's a little bit more familiar with, that he's been working with more this season. Because in reality, through the first, you know, 10 games, how many times did Mike White really spend practicing snaps with C.J. Uzama, Tyler Conklin, Corey Davis, who was injured at the time, Garrett Wilson's? There's still some chemistry to be learned there. I think we're going to see some of that. 
But Mike White is definitely getting more comfortable with the players throwing downfield. He's got really good accuracy. He kind of like people dog him for his arm. He doesn't have crazy arm ability, but he fires the ball in there, sometimes to a fault. One thing that is becoming an issue, other than his lack of mobility, the big issue right now is the tendency that he's got to throw these middle slant passes. Typically, it's tight end or a wide receiver that's doing a slant or a pretty shallow post in the middle of the field. And the guy is covered right, you know, in stride, a cornerback or defensive back right in stride with the receiver or tight end with like an arm around him, perfect coverage. But Mike White sees the guy standing technically in front and thinks, if I can hum this ball in there in the perfect spot, he's going to catch it. One, the defender's arm is there to block the ball away. Two, he's firing the ball in there so fast, and it's so close that it's really hard to catch to begin with. Three, you're talking about catching the ball in traffic in the middle of the field. These are very, very difficult catches, throws, all of that to work. It can kind of look like the guy's open for a second from Mike White's vantage point, but we as NFL fans know that that's, that's not considered open in the NFL, and you typically don't throw those balls. Mike White does anyway. The big issue with these plays is when you throw that hard in the middle of the field and it hits somebody in the hands, it pops up in the air, and it creates turnovers. It pops right into the safety. That third layer, if you're throwing to the second layer, gets the third layer just floating up in the air. And we saw that time and time again last year. Mike White had a ton of tipped ball interceptions, and it's why he had the highest or second highest interception percentage in the NFL last season. And we see it again this year. A couple opportunities for them to get interceptions, they dropped and one that was picked off by Harrison Smith. But how many of those throws on, like, third and six? Just go back and watch the first game that he played and the second game that he played and watch how many times Mike White threw a slant, specifically on third down, just firing it into a receiver who was covered. Time and time, it's probably seven or eight times already in two games, that same play. And that's a habit that has to be broken. He's got to find other guys and not just trust that if he throws it hard enough in the middle of the field, the guy's going to get it. Think more like, all right, Maybe this could work, but the downside and the negative to it is just so great. Maybe we go a different way and get comfortable throwing somewhere else. So that's one thing he's got to work on. But other than that, I've seen a lot of confidence and maturity, and I've seen him prepared in his duties and what he's trying to do that I am 100% on board with him starting against the Buffalo Bills. And should he play moderately well, as he has every single week so far this season, should he play moderately well, even a slight step back from what we've seen these two weeks? I would be happy with him, you know, riding for the remainder of this season. The one thing that I don't want, though, is the Jets to get obliterated by the Bills and Mike White to really struggle there and then come back the following week and lose that. I don't want to lose a season. If Mike White is struggling and he's making mistakes and teams are starting to figure out, like, okay, we know how to get to Mike White. We've now watched enough tape. We know how to stop this guy and slow him down, and he can't now adjust accordingly over what the defenses are starting to do. If that ends up becoming a situation, I don't want this team to end and die on a Mike White failure as he regresses to the end of the season. You know, we got to still make changes. So I'm not going to declare him the starter through Week 18. I'm just going to say right now, he's the best guy to win against the Buffalo Bills. And I want to see what he can do against that team. We've beaten him once. Let's do it again. Good game from Mike White in this one. 369 yards. I'm really not concerned with the stats. I think that it's interesting and it's fun. When you look at, like, the wide receivers and their production and stuff, I really am into that. But when you look at, like, Mike White's stats in this game, 369 yards, yeah, it's a ton. It's a lot for a Jets quarterback. But how many times was he throwing? How often was he throwing, you know, five yards and letting it be yards after catch? How many opportunities did he get at the end of the game that didn't go through? Whatever. Um, a lot of stuff that could have potentially gone a little bit better for him. That's why his quarterback rating is so low in this game. 59 quarterback rating. 
On a scale of 100, it's 23. So that's like as bad as the Zach Wilson game. But the guy was making effective things happen on the field. He was keeping the Jets in the game. I was pleased with that. He didn't throw any uh, touchdowns in this game. He did run for one. Mike White is not a running threat in any way. We saw him get in the end zone. Nice little, like, hole change on the quarterback sneak, but he is not anywhere near the athlete that Zach Wilson is, and he's not a guy that's going to be rushing for first downs very many times in his career. Let's go over to the running backs. This is a really cool room. We don't have Brees Hall. He's our best. That sucks. Michael Carter has not been as effective as he was last year. He's been a lot more inefficient running the ball. I think he's still really good as a teammate. I think he's still really good receiving out of the backfield. But running up the holes and even going outside this year hasn't been anywhere near as successful as it was last year. He was out this game with an ankle sprain, possibly back this week. So you're going to go with James White or James Robinson, Bam Knight, and Ty Johnson. James Robinson was a healthy scratch last week when Michael Carter was healthy. He's back in the lineup this week. He was bummed about not getting playing time. I don't I give a rat's butt what James Robinson wants in terms of carries within the New York Jets offense. For crying out loud, this team is trying to make the playoffs. It's not about you. If you're not the best guy for the play, you shouldn't be getting it. If Michael Floor thinks that another guy's going to do it better, sorry, man. We traded for you. You didn't choose to come here. You, you were just traded one day. I digress. James Robinson, four carries, 10 yards, not super efficient. The guy that was efficient, Bam Zonovan Knight, 15 carries, 90 yards. He had a 48-yard carry in this game, a massive play when the Jets really, really needed it. He added into that 28 receiving yards on five catches. The guy goes over 100 scrimmage yards two weeks in a row. He hasn't fumbled yet. And he's big, and he's strong, and he goes upfield, and he's deliberate in his running. And he really reminds me of Frank Gore's running style. Um because it's aggressive, and it's just like, I'm going to get up that hole, and it may be four yards, it may be three yards, it may be five yards, but I'm going to impose my will. I'm going to pick up an extra yard, and I'm going to make sure that I'm going forward. And I like the way he does that. He doesn't dance around in the backfield. He gets upfield. And I'm not talking the Adam Gase, Frank Gore, getting two yards of carry up the middle for the last three years of his career. I'm talking about, like, you know, nine years ago, Frank Gore. Frank Gore playing for the Colts or something, maybe. Then you had Ty Johnson. He got one carry, three yards. Ty added six catches in this game for 38 yards, so that was where Ty was really being utilized was that passing game. So decent game there, but that's kind of where the Jets right now are leaning in the absence of Michael Carter and Brees Hall. It's Bam Knight, and then it's Ty Johnson as a weapon, and James Robinson's kind of an afterthought, and that bums him out, and I expected more, honestly, coming to this team. But right now you got to go with the hot hand. You have to let the best players play. Bam Knight has proven to be the best running back on the Jets roster right now when Carter and uh, Brees Hall is out. So let's let him go until he starts getting stifled. When Bam Knight starts struggling, then go to James Robinson. And if he gets hot, go with him until he gets cold. Ty Johnson, same thing. That's what you got to do to stay hot in this league. Talking about wide receivers, how could you not be so happy with that number one and number two wide receiver? Garrett Wilson is having a hell of a season. He has 162 more receiving yards in this game, 20 yards per catch, hit a 60-yarder. He almost, I mean, that would have been like a 70-yarder, 75-yarder if he stayed in bounds. That would have been a huge play. I mean, what if? That was potentially a game-winning play if he stayed in bounds. But still, 162 yards, some huge grabs, some big yards after catch. He did get 15 targets in this game, which is a ton. But, I mean, man, he's currently on pace to break Wayne Corbett's record for most receptions for a Jets rookie receiver. He's on pace to beat Keyshawn Johnson's 
rookie record of the most uh, receiving yards by a Jets rookie. He's the offensive player of the game. No question, he was the one guy that was standing out as like, this guy's just different. This guy is is another level on the field. We saw it. I mean, we know he's got the ability, but this is one of the games where he really, really showcased it. I wish he got that touchdown, but man, he's super athletic, so fast. He's so bendy. He makes that slender that slender frame work really, really well. And uh, you know, he could really honestly challenge Don Maynard's record, Jets single game record of 228 receiving yards. He really is the type of guy that could break a record like that, which looked basically unbreakable. 228, who's getting that? But Garrett Wilson's the type of guy that can. And I love watching him. He is our offensive player of the game. Again, he's done it already this year as a rookie. He's taken it again. Loved it. Talk about Corey Davis. Garrett Wilson's 15 targets was a lot. Corey Davis gets 10 of his own. That's 25 targets between the number one and two wide receiver for the Jets. That's wild. Those are crazy numbers for uh, for targets. But Corey Davis, he gets five catches, 85 yards. He made a couple really big snags late in the game. He kept the Jets in it. He had a couple nice yards after catch plays to pick up first downs. And I love having Corey Davis back in the lineup. He had a bad holding penalty at one point, which sucked. But, man, Corey Davis is a weapon. You put him next to Garrett Wilson imposing his will. And then you wonder to yourself, like, why aren't the other guys getting a lot of touches and yards? Why isn't Elijah Moore and, and Denzel Mims really active in the offense? It's like, listen, you got Garrett Wilson and Corey Davis. And I, you may love Elijah Moore. Corey Davis is a better player. Garrett Wilson's a better player. Right? So that puts Elijah Moore at best at wide receiver three. You got two tight ends that are pretty good. Tyler Conklin, a big weapon for Mike White. C.J. Uzama made a really nice play in this game. Then you got the running backs. They can catch. You got Ty Johnsons, Michael Carters, James Wright. All these guys can receive out of the backfield too, right? So when you put a couple of tight ends, a couple of running backs, and a couple of wide receivers as like favorite targets, where is wide receiver three really even going to line up? Where are they going to be getting their big opportunities? You're going to get six targets for Elijah Moore in this game. Only brought in two of them for seven yards. He's got to get his feet and bounce for crying out loud. Denzel Mims, one target in this game, no catches. Braxton Berrios, he had three targets in this game. Two catches for nine yards. It should have been three catches on three targets. If he caught that ball, Jets could have won. I hate that he dropped that ball. There was no reason for him to. Entire career of Braxton Berrios, he doesn't drop that ball. He drops it in this situation. It's on him. I don't think he's going to do it again. I still trust the guy. I'm not, I'm not pissed at him because he's not a guy that makes this a habit. This is an exception. But, man, what a bad time to have it happen. If it's going to happen once, got to be fourth and goal from the one-yard line. Denzel Mims did have a nice downfield block in this game. I liked that. Elijah Moore was quieter than expected. I thought he was going to have a really big game going up against a pretty bad slot-covering Minnesota Vikings team. The Jets' offense really did kind of feast in this game. I mean, Mike White threw 366 passing yards, and he ran for 120. And a touchdown there. So, like, that's 486 yards of offense. That's a crazy amount. And we expected it to be kind of a barn burner shootout. But the problem was the Jets were getting field goals. And the Jets were getting to the red zone and getting to fourth and goal, and they weren't getting it. And their turnover on downs and things, so close. I mean, if the Jets had capitalized on a few opportunities in the red zone, on the goal line, and if the Jets had turned a couple of those field goals into touchdowns, they could have put up 50 points in this game easy. But that's what happens when you get field goals. Luckily, their line was kicking well. That's what happens when you get field goals instead of touchdowns. No way to make it in this league. Vikings get 27 points. They win. You look at the offensive line. I thought there were solid running running lanes in this game. 
team ran 24 times, so they were able to kind of establish the running game. 120 yards there, 5 yards per carry. There was definitely a really big 48-yard run that helped boost those numbers a little bit, but they got that Mike White touchdown where the team was pushing him into the end zone, and that was an effort play from that offensive line and the players around. Mike White was only sacked one time. Not the best pass rush in the world in Minnesota, but sacked only one time, so pleased with that. Max Mitchell was back playing right tackle instead of Cedric Ogbui, who filled in for a couple weeks um, with all the right tackle and left tackle injuries the Jets have had this year. And then he was kind of struggling in the game a little bit, and George Fant was back and active, not starting in this game. He came in to fill in at right tackle. I think he actually did a better job, which I was a little bit surprised to see because I thought that Max Mitchell was having a really nice season and maybe playing at a higher level than George Fant. But I guess we should consider the, you know, the reality that George Fant is a many-year veteran making you know $10-plus million, and Max Mitchell is supposed to be a developmental sunbelt mid-round draft pick from this season. So really, George Fant should be better. And if that's the case, let's see him for the remainder of the season get George Fant back out there. Nice to have healthy guys in like that depth room for the O-line. Nice to have like Herbig available playing, so Feeney's in the backup room. Nice to have a George Fant and Max Mitchell and Dwayne Brown all for tackle. Maybe even Cedric Ogbui if he's going to be available. That's like... Four guys that you could go to war with. Way better than a Connor McDermott-level player who played pretty badly for the Patriots this past week, may I add. So, well enough for the offensive line. Not a ton of glaring weaknesses there in this game. Opportunities for the Jets to win. There were opportunities. So that's our offensive side of the ball. Um, I'm going to switch right now. I was going to do defense, but you know what? I think we're going to take a quick pit stop at the cooler for a little what on tap. That's right, folks. We are doing an impromptu what's on tap to see what I'm drinking. And last week, I drank uh, Coors Light, and I said I was going to upgrade it this week. So I said, what do we have in the fridge that I like that I haven't drank in a long time? And I saw a big old pile of high noons. And I love high noons. It's the best seltzer on the market, in my opinion, until somebody else really masters doing real fruit juice with vodka rather than, like, malt, liquor, seltzer stuff. Um, this is going to be the best. But I couldn't see the flavors because they were in the door, so all I could see was the high noon, and I was like, you know what? I'm going to do a grab bag sort of deal because you know those party packs you get that's a mixture of whatever, and these were all picked by wife Shannon, so I have no idea whether it's the pool party pack or the tailgate pack or the sun sips. I don't know. Close my eyes and grab one, and what do I get? I get absolutely screwed with a black cherry. Uh, this is... Probably a personal preference, but in my mind, there is nothing worse than a black cherry flavor for any seltzer or drink or anything like that. Black cherry, it tastes like Robitussin to me. It is not enjoyable. I would never choose this, but you know what? When you play grab bag mystery, you got to kind of live with it. And I definitely, I know that I haven't reviewed this on here before because why would I ever drink black cherry anything willingly? So that's what... That's what I'm enjoying this week. 4.5% alcohol to the skinny little can. It's it's still high noon. The good thing about it is not only that it's just 100 calories, but that it's not going to make me feel like shit later. Um, it's not going to have, like, a lot of sugar or that malt or syrup or anything like that. It just it doesn't taste great because I don't like black cherry. But, like, the quality of the materials and ingredients inside of it is good, and I feel well enough knowing that. So, not so bad. Next week, we will see what uh, what I can find instead. I didn't really have... I've been sick still. I'm still kind of, like, coming back from a throat thing. And the wife is sick right now, so all sorts of stuff going on. No one's really healthy in my family at this point in time. But 
I haven't gone to like the package store to get really good stuff. I have some really good whiskeys that I can potentially start to drink, but then it's like, am I drinking it one point through? I'm taking three sips throughout the episode and getting like, you know, the same buzz as I would through this. I can't be enjoying it, and I like to kind of quench my thirst. It's really, really hot in the guest room where I record, and you need something to quench that thirst. Any hooser, sun sip, or yeah, it is a sun sips pack. High noon, vodka and soda, black cherry. That is what I'm drinking today for this week's What's on Tap. And now we get to get back to the good stuff, the New York Jets talk. Going to talk defense, but first, we have to take a quick commercial break. All righty, and welcome back to... This is the Jet Life. We talked about the offensive side of the ball where the Jets were getting field goals and not touchdowns. Now let's talk about the defensive side of the ball where the Jets gave up 17 points in the second quarter, 20 points in the first half. When the game started, the Jets were getting a lot of pressure from the offense or from the defensive line, but they weren't getting the actual big plays that they needed. They were hitting Kirk Cousins, they were making him uncomfortable. But he was getting the ball away either to a Justin Jefferson who was making crazy grabs or throwing the ball incomplete or hitting K.J. Osborne, T.J. Hawkinson, Adam Thielen time and time again. Right, He started a little bit slow, and it was like, ooh, we're hitting him, we're banging him up a little bit. But he was doing just enough to keep the sticks moving. And the Jets were getting that pressure from the defensive line and almost getting home, almost getting those negative yardage plays that would get the Jets off the field on defense, but they couldn't quite do it. And what all that defensive line pressure did was actually create holes for Dalvin Cook, who had a really nice game in this one. 20 carries for 86 yards and a touchdown. He had 4.3 yards per run. And Alexander Madison, he added another touchdown himself on 4.7 yards per run. Those two backs together, getting 100 rushing yards and two touchdowns, over four yards per carry, were very, very efficient and effective for the Vikings. And they were used a lot in the first half, and they helped the Vikings get out to that big lead early. And... The Jets were like doing a decent enough job covering the receivers. But Kirk was moving the ball well enough downfield, and the Jets couldn't hold onto the ball for long enough in the first quarter, so it was kind of a mess. But then the second half starts, and the defensive line is now getting home. It's now getting to Kirk Cousins and taking him down. It's getting the defense off the field. It's getting the offense back on. It's getting us opportunities to start grinding the ball with Zonovan Knight, start getting the ball to Garrett Wilson, and all of a sudden the Jets made things interesting. It was a totally different second half than first half, and that felt really good. But overall, the defense had some issues in this game right from that first half and given up 27 points. Starting on the defensive line, Quinnen Williams continues to have an incredible season. I love Quinnen Williams. I can't wait to see him signed to an extension with the Jets. He's going to get a lot of money, I'm sure, over $15 million a year. But he is still top 10 in the NFL in total sacks. He's still the most among defensive tackles in the league with total sacks. He's got nine on the year right now. That's his career high. He's got his career high quarterback hits. He had two quarterback hits in this this game, three tackles for a loss. He was our defensive player of the game, and he is playing at an immaculate level. Quinn Williams is a force to be reckoned with. When you see plays blown up in the backfield and you see that big pressure pushing, like when you push from the edge, when you've got an edge rusher, say like a Von Miller or something, who's really, really good, so he's not a great example. But when you have an edge rusher who comes off the edge, the quarterback can see it and roll out and potentially throw the ball away. When you collapse an entire pocket right up the middle onto a quarterback and the defensive line on the end is also doing the same thing, it makes it almost impossible. It's just like a suffocating pocket that just engulfs you. And we saw that happen a few times in this game, and Quinton Williams is often a leader behind all that. Sheldon Rankins, he had a couple quarterback hits. He was back for the Jets this week. He's a really good number two to Quinton Williams. And for any issues that he may have had last year for the Jets, 
He's playing way better and at a higher level this year. I love what we're seeing from Sheldon Rankins. I was glad to see him back on the field. Carl Lawson, he had a sack and a couple quarterback hits himself. So, and it was all that second half. I mean, we were really seeing a lot in the second half, and that's what we needed when the Jets had to get it done. I think they kind of grinded down that offensive line, and I was expecting some good pressure from the middle. We talk about a quarterback hit from Nathan Shepard, two from Rankins, two from Quinn and Williams. You're talking about five quarterback hits from interior defensive linemen. That was a matchup that I was expecting to feast for the Jets, and it did. So Quinn Williams, player of the game, good defensive line performance overall. The defensive uh, line could have been maybe a little stouter against the run, but when you're pushing so far upfield, it's kind of what you get sometimes, nature of the beast. Looking at the linebackers, Quincy had some big hits on the wide receivers, tight ends, Kirk Cousins. You know, he had two quarterback hits and some really, really nice tackles in this one. C.J. Mosley, he led the team in tackles. A quieter game from him, but just doing his thing, being a great captain. Quan, he made a really nice stop on third and seven at the end of the game when the Jets, uh, after they got stopped and Braxton Barrios had that drop, the Jets had like a minute 46 seconds left and they were on the one-yard line and had to stop the Vikings, get the ball back. Quan made a big play in the backfield, third and seven, forced them to punt, get the Jets the ball, and gave us one more chance to go down the field and actually try to win the game again. So good game from the linebackers overall, I thought. When you look at the cornerbacks, Michael Carter, two left with an injury. Brandon Eccles is not as good. Talk about Sauce Gardner and DJ Reed. This was a big matchup for them. Justin Jefferson made some really big snags in this game. Right, He had a touchdown, but in reality, he had 45 yards. Adam Thielen had 27, so those two guys combined for under 80 yards. The Jets did a well, good enough job. We talked about playing against probably the best offensive weapons that we're going to face all season long. I think the Bills upcoming next week is maybe a close number two. Maybe the Bengals will be a close number two. But they did a really nice job against Justin Jefferson. I know Jefferson will tell you that he played great and he's incredible and he's the best there ever was. But in reality, this was one of his worst games of the season, one of his most uh, minimal impacts in a game, even though he had that touchdown. So you got to feel pretty good about that. One issue that I have, you know, a lot of penalties against him. I think he drew three or four penalties, a couple against DJ Reed. And so you'd like to see a little bit more discipline, but you're playing a receiver that's the best in the league in Jefferson, so... You'll take it. Safeties, solid game from Whitehead and Joyner. Whitehead lost the ball in the air one time on a deep throw. I think it went to Rager. He was kind of like looking over his shoulder like it was going to be throwing 10 yards deeper. It wasn't. That was a bummer, but well enough game overall from the special uh, from the safeties. Talking special teams, player of the game's got to be Greg the Leg. Greg the Leg made five kicks, scored 15 points on five field goals. One of them was from 60 yards. Another one was from 48 yards. This is one of the best kicking performances in Jets history. So you can find all sorts of numbers. One of the longest kicks the Jets have ever kicked. This is one of the few times in NFL history a guy's kicked for five made field goals on perfect field goal attempts and one over 60. Justin Tucker's the only other guy to do that. It was just like across the board, great game. Greg kept us in it. If he missed a, you know, 60-yard field goal, which is totally possible. If he missed a 48-yard field goal, totally possible. It wouldn't be as close as it was, and those opportunities at the end of the game they wouldn't have been there. It wouldn't have been like game-winning drives and stuff, but Greg Dynamite almost won this game purely on field goals. That would have sucked and been wild, but he was kicking at that level. And they were like right down the middle too. Nothing in question. He made the 60-yarder by like seven yards to spare. Man, he's kicking well. Braden Mann was solid. And then Braxton, who was special teams player of the game last week for getting like 13 yards per punt return, he was getting 
basically uh, around the same. He was getting like 10 yards per punt return again this week. Really, really consistent, really, really efficient. And what you're looking for from a punt returner typically is like seven yards would be considered good just to get anything, right? Not just fair catch it, not let it go. Just pick up seven yards and help your offense out. He's getting 10, a little bit more than 10. I think he had a 13 or 14 yarder in this one. Really nice game returning from Bra- uh, Braxton Berrios. And when he does that, it helps the offense out immensely. You need those yards. So nice game there. Then our last order of business is going to be to do a Bills preview. And we actually did a Bills preview somewhat recently, so it's not like a super interesting thing to me. We know this team so well. We played them once already this year. We beat them then. The new stuff, it's going to be a game 1 o'clock on CBS in Orchard Park, Buffalo Stadium. We're going to get Tony Romo and Jim Nance for the first time in three years. That is the number one CBS newscasting team, and it's crazy to think the Jets... For scheduling purposes, like there was never a week where there were no good games on CBS and the Jets happened to be number one. Now, nah, the team hasn't been good enough, and this is the first time we get to do it this year, so it'll be really nice. Enjoy Tony Romo. If you're with a group of people that are listening to the broadcast and you're hearing what they say, enjoy the little nuances to what Tony says. I'm really interested to hear what he has to say about Mike White and the way that he's playing, if he uh, is having trouble or if he's doing well against the Bills. I'd like to see what Tony's seeing because he's got a very, very good mind for this stuff, and he says what he sees, and he's... uh. Not afraid to do it. So, exciting to hear that. Jim Nance sucks. I don't like that guy. Whatever. It's worth it for Tony. The Jets open this game as 9.5 point underdogs. So, again, we're coming in there as big underdogs, even though we beat this team once already. First time we played them, Jets win 20-17. to 17. That's with Zach Wilson at quarterback. We have a better quarterback playing now. We've added back, you know, a George Fant type of thing. Corey Davis is back in there playing now. We've found the big, powerful play of Zonovan Knight. So there's no reason to think the Jets can't do it again, right? They have really good coaches in Buffalo. Sean McDermott, Leslie Frazier, Ken Dorsey. We know them well. They're a good group. Even though they had a bunch of their guys stripped over the last couple of years, right? Brian Dable goes to be a Giants head coach, and they still find another guy to fill in and do a good job because that's what good coaches do. The Jets, as we become good coaches and we have our guys plucked away to be coaches for other teams, we're going to have to be able to do the same thing. you got to have a big tree of people, big pipeline. Super important. Talk about the Bills' offense. We got to do what we did the first time. We limited the Bills to 17 points, which is immensely important because it's very unlikely the Jets are putting up 35, 40 points against that team. It's going to come down to slowing them down. That means slowing Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis, the two biggest weapons on the offense in the passing game for the Buffalo Bills. The other one, Josh Allen's legs. Contain Josh Allen. Make that guy uncomfortable. We got to watch out for Isaiah McKenzie and some trick plays. We don't want to let James Cook or Devin Singletary become big weapons for that team. We assume right now going in, even though James Cook, Dalvin Cook's little brother, is getting better. He didn't play a lot early in the season after having a fumble in like week one. He's playing more now, and he's doing a little bit better. And they have Naheem Hines in the mix, and Devin Singletary's playing okay. They got the worst running back in the room, Zach Moss, out into another team. So they have a decent running back's room right now. But we assume with our defensive line and linebackers that that's not going to be a huge issue for the Jets. If it is, and they're able to run for 140 yards, the Jets are screwed because you can't stop the wide receivers and the running game. You have to hope that that defensive line can do enough on Singletary and stuff to keep the Bills running the ball and keep, or to keep the Bills throwing the ball and to keep Josh Allen trying to do the stuff with his legs. Josh Allen, if you can make him uncomfortable, you can spy him and keep him from running, and you can clamp Stephon Diggs and Gabe Davis like the Jets did the first time aside from, like, one big play, Josh Allen makes some dumb mistakes. He's not immune 
to bad plays. He'll force balls in there, he'll fumble the ball at weird times, he'll try to play Superman, and he'll do things that are just like head scratchers more often than a quarterback that's his level you'd think you'd see. So if the Jets can do that and make him uncomfortable, that's their big opportunity. Super important to pressure him early and often stop those wide receivers. DJ Reed, Sauce Gardner, it comes down to them big time. Limit them, make Josh Allen uncomfortable, don't let those running backs cook. The Jets can limit the Buffalo Bills offense, I believe. The biggest problem probably comes down to that Buffalo Bills defense because the defense is really, really good, and even though we put up 20 points with Zach Wilson and beat them in the first matchup at home, they were missing some really good players. Tredavious White was just coming back from injury. Um, Matt Milano wasn't playing in that game, and he's an incredibly good linebacker that they have that's really good in the middle of the field. When you talk about the biggest worry in Mike White's game, it's that passes in the middle of the field are tipped up and caught by safeties or hummed in there at a guy who's not ready to catch it or a step behind him, throwing a little bit off into the back shoulder or something with a guy that's covering him. That's what we saw against the Vikings. That was where Harrison Smith got his interception. That was where a lot of interceptions from Mike White happened last year. When we talk about this team, they got a really, really good middle of the field. Up front, they got Ed Oliver. He's a good player. But then you got one of the best linebackers in the league in Matt Milano, another one of the best in the league in Tremaine Edmonds, and behind him you got Jordan Poyer, and even though they don't have Micah Hyde playing right now, DeMar Hamlin's playing pretty good safety. So two good safeties there. They are going to have tons of opportunities to pull down tip ball interceptions if Mike White continues to hum the ball in there on slants on third downs. That can't happen, but they have a really, really good defense in Buffalo. They've got guys like Teron Johnson and Tredavious White who can line up on you, and Dane Jackson is playing pretty well. they got guys that are co- going to come at you off the edge, A.J. Epinesa, Greg Rousseau. Von Miller is the one guy that played against us in the first matchup that won't be playing in this one. That helps the Jets out a little bit because he's a real nightmare to try to match up against. So maybe a slightly lowered pass rush from them. But if they're going to be covering the guy short and making Mike White you know, feel like the only guy that's open is that slant route that he continues to think is open time and time again, there's going to be a lot of opportunities for the Bills to force turnovers. And that would be a big no-no and kind of the name of the game for the Bills to beat the Jets. The Jets need to run the ball in this game. We need to find a way with Zonovan Knight to pound this team into the ground. If Michael Carter's back, awesome. Get the ball in his hands in space. We need to find a way to let the playmakers stretch this thing out wide, right, and then run it up the middle. Get the ball to the receivers outside wide, handoffs wide, running backs out wide, and then pound it up the middle, go back and forth. They did a little bit of that against the Vikings, and it worked really well going back and forth from spreading out, going in, spreading out, going in. And I think it makes it tough on a defense, especially if you're lining up in similar offensive sets. But if the Jets can't run the ball, and they're forcing Mike White to just go out there and throw the ball, I don't think it's going to be a good matchup for the Jets. I don't think it's going to work well. So, got to run it. And in reality, when I'm trying to predict this thing, you know, we beat them once with Zach Wilson, so there's no question we can beat them again. We already did it with some of the worst quarterback in the entire NFL playing for us. Um, But if Mike White can limit the struggles in the middle of the field, stay away from those linebackers and those safeties with the ball, we can run it a little bit and put decent enough clamps on Diggs and Davis, make Josh Allen just uncomfortable enough. I'm expecting a low-scoring game with some ugly offense, and it probably comes down to a game-winning field goal. And if I'm being honest... I'm going into this game thinking the Bills are probably going to win. Maybe something like last week's score or last matchup score, 17 to 20. Maybe the Bills win this one, but I'm not sure they're going to win it. And I don't really like to root against the Jets. I think the Bills are a better team. 
I think that there's a lot of reasons to think the Bills would win. I think nine and a half points, Vegas sees it. I think a lot of people around the NFL world are like, yeah, the Bills are definitely one of the best teams in the league, and the Jets are figuring some stuff out. But we've seen this team win in incredible fashion. And we've seen the players that are playing in this game do some incredible things. And if it all lines up again, which is what you would expect a good playoff team, any team that's going to make a run for the Jets, if they're going to find that from within, they're going to pull something out of their ass, and they're going to make a, say, a deep run in the playoffs, it's going to be because they can win games like this. And this is the big opportunity. If the Jets lose to the Bills, the season is not over. The Jets will go to 7-6, and six, and they'll have opportunities against the Lions, the Jaguars, and the Seahawks, which are all losable games, but they're all winnable games. And you win those, you're at 10 wins, you have another opportunity against the Dolphins. Jets have five games left. They really need to find a way to win three of them. To get to 10 wins, in my opinion, that's the recipe to make the playoffs. Win three games. Starts this week against the Bills. If you win it, you only got to win two games for the remainder of the season and four games. That's awesome. If you lose it, you got to win three of four. One of those games is against the Dolphins. Not so easy. We'll see what the Jets can do. We'll see how Mike White can handle his redemption tour against the Buffalo Bills. How the Buffalo Bills handle their redemption tour against the New York Jets. And how the AFC shapes shapes up after uh, this week. Because like I said, Sunday Night Football, Monday Night Football, Thursday Night Football all have massive implications on the AFC playoff picture. And it's awesome. We get to see every single one of them play. We get to see all those Raiders and Patriots and Dolphins and Chargers games, Buffalo Bills, Jets. You want to figure out where the Jets stand in this whole thing? Let's watch those teams. Talk about it next week when we're back. That's all I got for this week's podcast. Thank you for joining me. I'm Dan Burnham, and this is The Jet Life. (laughs) 